you can't preach after that, you can't preach, right? <laughs> Turn in your Bibles to Luke 15. Luke chapter 15. While you're turning, I want to say a word of thanks to you as a church for your partnership in missions. I want to thank you for praying for the gospel to be proclaimed not only in your community, but to the ends of the earth. I want to also thank you for being personally involved in missions, uh, both locally and outside of this community to the world. And I also want to thank you for giving missions. I want to thank you for giving to missions through the cooperative program. Uh, Adam shared a little bit about my ministry. I relate to 480 churches in a region, including those in Severance Valley. was here actually when Pastor Dusty was here uh, to do some stewardship training and some uh, witness training. One of the things I remember about that witness training is we had someone saved in that witness training class. Hadn't had that before, hadn't had it since, but I do recall that. And so I do training. I provide uh, consultations to churches in various areas of church life and also help churches with next level growth strategies. So thank you for the invitation. I want to thank Dr. Garrison for the opportunity to be here this morning and thank you for allowing me to share this pulpit. Luke 15, we're going to focus on this subject today. We're going to focus on reaching the people around you. Reaching the people around you. Would you stand with me in honor of the Word of God as we read together? Luke 15, verse 1. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to Him. That, was, that is, they were approaching to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining. This man, and they were referring to Jesus, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and coming home he calls his friends and neighbors together saying to them, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who don't need repentance. Verse 8. Or what woman who has ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found the silver coin I lost. I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. May God add His blessing to the reading of His Word today. Let's pray together. Lord, we give You thanks for the opportunity that we have today to worship You. We count it a privilege to be able to pray, to sing praise to You, to give of our resources, and just focus on our need for You, Lord. You, you are worthy of our worship. We just, we just want to declare that again today, that You are indeed worthy. You're, you're not only worthy of our worship, You are worthy of our very lives. And Lord, because You first loved us, and because You 
chose to be a friend of sinners. That makes us want to love You, Lord. Thank You. Thank You, Lord, for Your love for us. Such undeserving love You've shown to us, and yet You've shown it to us, Lord. We were not deserving of grace. We deserve death and hell. But Lord, You offered us grace through Jesus Christ, His death, His burial, and His resurrection. And for that, we're grateful today. Lord, we're grateful for Your Word. We're grateful that Your Word is a lamp unto our feet, that it's a, a light unto our path. And our prayer today, Lord, is that You will help us to hide and to treasure this passage, this, this portion of the Word in our hearts that we might not sin against You. Lord, we realize that You've given Younger's Creek Baptist Church a mission, and that is to fulfill Your great commission from this community in the context that this church finds itself in. Lord, I pray that You will help each person in this room realize that it is their personal responsibility and it's the corporate responsibility of Younger's Creek Baptist Church to reach the people in this community that are not saved, that do not have a relationship with You. And I I pray, Father, that You'll give us a greater burden today. And I also pray that You will instruct us on how we can take some next steps to be more intentional in this area of our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus, and for His sake we pray. Amen. You can be seated. I want to share with you a little bit about your community. This week I had my ministry assistant run a a demographic study from this church parking lot. And if you travel from this church parking lot in three miles either way, you would encounter 16,113 people. If you branched out a little bit, five miles, uh, you would encounter... 46,990 people within a five-mile radius. How many of you drove to church and you drove more than five miles to get here today? Raise your hand. Okay, I see most hands are raised. I'm raising mine, obviously. Uh, So the number I'm giving you is, uh, it doesn't even branch out to where most of you drove from today. I'm just going to start with five miles from from this church parking lot. So 46,990 people live within five miles of here. And only 12% of those 46,990 attend church on any given Sunday. So here's what that meant for you as you travel to church today. When you got in your car and you traveled to church and you passed, I'm sure that many of you passed more than 10 homes, but for every 10 homes that you passed, Nine out of ten of those homes, or the families or individuals represented in those homes, did not choose to do what you're choosing to do today, and that is to worship God in a corporate context, to do what the Bible encourages us to do, and that is to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And so, nine out of ten that you passed uh, are, are not attending church on any given Sunday. And that number is this, 41,351 people. 41,351 people within just a five-mile radius of here do not attend church on any, any given Sunday. Now here's my question. 
Do you, and I'm asking you personally, but I'm also asking you as a church, I'm asking both, do you have any responsibility, any responsibility for their spiritual condition? I see some saying this. According to Luke 15, the answer to my question, do you personally, do you as a church corporately have any responsibility for the spiritual condition of these 41,000 plus people, the answer to that is a definite yes. When we read Luke 15, we're reminded of this truth. God loves lost people. We're reminded of this truth, that when Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, walked this earth, He was a friend of sinners. As a matter of fact, that's why He was being criticized here. This was not the first nor the last time in the, the, the account of Jesus' life that He was criticized, but in this particular instance, in Luke 15, verses 1 and following, He was being criticized for befriending sinners. I don't know about you, but I'm glad He chose to befriend sinners. Amen? Because had He not chose to reach out to sinners like me and you, we would still be in our sin. We would still be headed for a devil's hell. But Jesus, in His grace, came to this earth, was born of a virgin, lived a perfect sinless life, died a cruel death on a cross, not for crimes or sins that He'd committed, but for our sins in our place as a payment or an atonement for our sins. He was buried in a borrowed tomb, raised up on the third day. He has ascended to the right hand of the Father, and one day He's going to return. We have a responsibility for the spiritual condition of people around us that are lost and unchurched because Jesus cared for them. Jesus values them. And we ought to care and value those whom Jesus cares for and values. Now I want to go back to that number. I quoted a number, 41,351. And here's what I realize about that number. I realize that a number like that is, is impersonal. It's very easy to hear a number like that, and that number go in one ear and out the other. But I want, I want to remind you of something, that among those 41,135 people, excuse me, 351 people, uh, some of those people are people that you know very well. As a matter of fact, some of those people are a part of your family, either your immediate family or your extended family. You're here today, but perhaps a person within your immediate or extended family is not attending church here at Younger's Creek or anywhere else. Some of those people are your neighbors because when you got in your car and you drove past, you realize there's a person who does not attend church anywhere. Here's a person who doesn't claim faith in Christ. And so some of those people you know because they're your neighbors. Some of those people you know because you work in close proximity to them. I know school is out right now for those of you who go to school, but when you're in school, some of those people are the people that you have classes with at school. And here's what I want you to think about as we move forward. I want you to move from this impersonal number, 41,351, to begin thinking as I speak about real people. 
As a matter of fact, I hope as I shared those categories, I hope that what came to mind was real people within your relational connections of either family or neighbors or people you work with or go to school with, acquaintances. I hope you think of real people who either do not have a connection with Christ or do not have a connection right now with a local church. And this morning I want us to think about two questions. Two questions in light of the text. Question number one is this question. We're going to look at this one first. What do these two stories that I told, these two parables that I told, what do they have in common? And then the second question we're going to address out of this text is this, what should our lives have in common with these two stories that I read? After all, James says we're not just to be hearers of the Word, but we're to be also what? Doers of the Word. So that's the second question we're going to ask. How do we apply the truth of these two parables that Jesus told in response to being criticized for befriending sinners? How do we apply those and live them out in our lives? So those are the two takeaways, okay? Let's go back to question one. What do these two stories have in common? Let's look at them again. Let's look at story number one. And story number one is about a shepherd. And he has a flock of sheep. As a matter of fact, he has a hundred sheep. And he loses one of them. I can picture him counting his sheep. I, I grew up in Taylor County. I grew up on a farm. My dad didn't raise sheep, but he raised cattle. And so I, I can understand the value of accounting for your herd or your flock. And we'd go out and make sure, very, very frequently, we'd go out and make sure that all of our cattle were accounted for. And I can picture this shepherd who had a hundred sheep accounting for his flock. I can picture him counting 96, 97, 98, 99, and he's looking for the 100th sheep and it's nowhere to be found. Do you realize what this shepherd did upon recognizing the lost condition of just one of his 100 sheep? Do you know what he did? Before I tell you what he did, I want to tell you what he did not do. He did not say, he could have very easily done this, but he did not do this. He could have very easily said, I'm going to adopt the little Bo Peep mentality about that lost sheep. I'm going to leave it alone, let it come home, and it'll come home someday, wagging its tail behind it. He didn't adopt that philosophy. He didn't say, uh, you know what, 99 is a good percentage. When you've got 99 sheep in the fold out of 100, that's a good percentage, so I'm going to be okay with that good percentage. He didn't say that either, did he? What did he do? Well, here's what he did. He developed an intentional plan to do something about the lost condition of just one of his 100 sheep. This was his intentional plan. The Bible says this, it says he left the 99 in the open country. And I'm assuming that he left the 99 in the open country in the hands or in the responsibility of a trusted friend. 
The Scripture says he searched diligently. I can picture him searching behind rocks because as a shepherd he probably realized that at times he'd had sheep that had gotten lost and he'd found them laying down behind large rocks. So I can picture him looking behind every large rock he could find. I can picture him lifting up the bottom branches of bushes and looking underneath the bottom branches of bushes. Why? Because at times he'd had sheep that were lost and he'd found them having finagled their way under a bush and laid down under that bush. I can picture him looking behind rocks. I can picture him looking underneath bushes. The Bible says this, he searched diligently. And he searched diligently, the Scripture says, until he found it. Do you realize he found it? And do you realize what he did when he found it? He called his friends and he said, You know what? You know, you know that lost, that one that I lost? I found him! You talk, about, you talk about excitement when you sing. He had excitement when he called his neighbors. He didn't say it like this, I found him. He said, I found him! He's back! The shepherd developed an intentional plan to do something about the lost condition of just one of his 100 sheep. What do these two stories have in common? Let's go to story two. Parable or story two is about a woman and she's counting her money. I picture her at a table. I picture her with the coins on the table. I picture her taking those coins and raking them toward a pile in the center and she's saying six, seven... Eight, nine, and she reaches out her hand for the tenth coin, and it's nowhere to be found. What did this woman do upon recognizing the lost condition of just one of ten coins? Well, let me tell you first what she did not do. She did not say, you know what? That coin will turn up someday. I'll just, I'll just let it be. I'm not going to worry about it. It'll turn up someday. She didn't take that approach. Nor did she say this. She could have very easily said, you know what, nine coins out of ten, that's 90%. That's a good percentage. I'm going to be okay with that. She did not do that either. What did she do? Here's what she did. She developed an intentional plan to do something about the lost condition of just one of ten coins. This was her intentional plan. The Scripture said she lit a lamp. Now she didn't live during the days where she could just go clap on and clap off and a lamp would come on. She had a cup of oil probably. She had a wick protruding out of that cup of oil. She lit that cup of oil which was her lamp. I picture her illuminating the dark recesses of her home looking down on the floor to see if she could find that lost coin. She lit a lamp. The Scripture says. second thing she did according to the Scripture is that she swept her house. She took her broom, she went to the wall of her house, she swept to the center, and she looked after every sweep. After every swipe of the broom, after every sweep of the broom, she'd look in the center to see if indeed she had swept up that one lost coin. She lit a lamp, she swept the house. Here's what else she did. She searched diligently. And you know what she did? She found it. Do you know what she did when she found it? She called her friends and her neighbors and she said, you know what I did? I found my lost coin. 
She was excited. And you know why she found it? Because she developed an intentional plan to do something about the lost condition of just one of her ten coins. That's what those two parables have in common. Let's look at question number two. Question number two is this. What should our lives have in common with these two stories? If we're going to apply these, uh, the, the truth of these parables in our life, then how are we to do that? And I would suggest this, that if we're going to live out the truth of this story, we also need to have an intentional plan to do something about the lost condition of family members and friends and neighbors and people we work alongside and go to school with. We need to have an intentional plan about their lost condition. And so if I had the opportunity to have a personal conversation with each of you that would begin with this question. Given that you have a number of unchurched, lost and unchurched family members, friends, neighbors, etc., in, this, in these past six weeks, in the past six weeks, what has been your intentional plan to do something about their lost condition? What's been your plan? Would you find it easy to share what has been your plan? Or would you find it difficult to answer that question when I ask what what has been your plan to do something about the lost condition of people around you? I want to remind you this morning that the one who told these parables, he modeled, he lived out what we're talking about this morning. Because the Bible says this about all of us in the room. The Bible says that we are all sinners. We have all sinned. and We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible says that uh, God commended or He openly displayed His love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When God saw us in our lost condition, He did not say, you know what, I'm going to give them time. Perhaps most of them will turn over a new leaf. He didn't say that. He he didn't say, I'm going to leave them to figure it out themselves. He didn't say that either. What God did when He saw us in our lost condition was He developed an intentional plan to do something about our lost condition, and that intentional plan was to send His Son, who for us who believe is our Savior, to die upon the cross for our sins, to be buried and to be raised up from the dead. God developed a plan. And as followers of His, we too ought to be intentional about the same people that God values and that Jesus loves. What's your plan? I want to share with you some things that I believe that every one of us in the room can and should do as it relates to having a plan for those who are around us who are lost and unchurched. I believe this is the beginning point. I believe that every one of us can 
and should pray regularly for those that we know who are lost and unchurched. As a matter of fact, I want to challenge you to do something. In your bulletin, you have a section of prayer requests. The section says prayer guide. And at the very bottom, uh, you're asked to pray for your search committee for violence in the world, for AIDS, sick and dying, an unspoken request. There's a blank area right at the bottom there. I want to, I want to challenge you to just write five names right here at the bottom of this portion of the bulletin. I want to challenge you to write five names. And these five names would be five people that you know that meet these criteria. Number one, they live within a reasonable driving distance of Younger's Creek Baptist Church. Should you pray for lost relatives in Maryland? Definitely. But for the purposes of this discussion, I'm asking you to write down the names of five people that meet these criteria. Number one, they live within a reasonable driving distance of this church. Five, we said it's very reasonable because many of you raised your hand and you said, I drive a lot farther than that. Second criteria is this. Currently, they do not, they, they profess not to, they claim not to have a personal faith relationship with Jesus. If you were to ask them, do you know for certain that if you were to die, you'd spend eternity in heaven with the Lord? They'd say, no, I don't know that. If you, say, if you ask them the question, do you, have you ever placed your faith in Jesus and given your life over to Him, trusting Him to save you? They'd say, no, I've not. So that's a criteria. Number, number two is that they, they, they do not claim any faith relationship with Jesus. And number three, they don't have any connection with any other church right now. I want to challenge you to pray daily for those people. Someone has said that before we talk to people about the Lord, we need to first talk to the Lord about those people. All of us could be thankful for one thing, if you're a believer here today, I can, I, I, I can guarantee something about you. You had people praying for your salvation. If you're here today and you can say, I'm a believer in Christ, praise God. I'll guarantee you one thing about you. You had somebody, some group of people, some people praying for your salvation. For me, it was first my great-grandparents and my grandparents and my parents, and then it was my church. And I am saved today because of the grace of God, but God used praying people. Paul said this, Paul said, My heart's desire and prayer to God is that Israel would be saved. Paul was saying, I pray to that end. We ought to pray to that same end. We ought to pray that the people that we know would come to know Christ and have a vital, real connection with Him and with a Bible-believing local church. We need to pray for them. And when we drive past their home, we ought to prayer drive past their home. Pray for them. I'd encourage you also to pray with them. Here's what I'm finding in the everyday traffic pattern of my life, that when I ask this question, how can I pray for you? That most people welcome that question and are appreciative of it. And they'll share how I can pray for them. And the second question I'll often ask is this, would you mind if I pray about those things right now? I want to encourage you to 
have that type of prayer ministry if you don't already and start that prayer ministry with your own immediate family. Before you leave the house on any given day, I'd encourage you to ask this question. How can I pray for you? And listen. And then pray for that person based on those requests. We need to pray for and with people who don't know Christ and who do not have any relational connection with His church. Here's the second thing we need to do. This is something that everybody in the room can do. It's something that everybody in the room should do. And it's this, to care, to care for those people. To show them the love of Christ in real, tangible ways. It's one thing to say, God loves you. It's another to show them the love of Christ through real, expressible ways. And here's some examples. If one of them, and in, in the next six months, one of them is going to be in the hospital or have a family member in the hospital. One of the ways that you could express the love of Christ in a tangible way would be to perhaps go to see them in the hospital or when they come home from the hospital, perhaps take them a meal. That's one small, simple way, but it's a way to say, you know what, God loves you. I'm doing this because of the love of Christ. I want to show you the love of Christ. When we read about the ministry of Jesus, this is what we read about Him. When He saw people with needs, the Scripture would often say this, He was moved with compassion toward them. He didn't just feel sorrow for them, but he felt, he felt compassion that led him to ask this question, how can I or how can we as the disciples meet and address the needs that they have? Case in point was the feeding of the 5,000 men plus women and children. Jesus saw them and had compassion on them and fed them. Pray. Show the love of Christ in real, tangible, expressible ways. And here's the third thing I believe that all of us can do and should do, and it's this. All of us can invite. All of us can invite someone. And you ought to be inviting people to your Sunday school class or to your church services. But I encourage you not to stop there. The Christian responsibility to have an intentional plan for the lost condition of people around us doesn't stop with inviting, but it continues in sharing the gospel with them. Sharing the truth, sharing the good news. Because it is the gospel that changes lives. Paul said this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. We need to share that gospel. And we need to invite people to come with us. And we need to have an, a, an intentional plan. What would happen? What would happen? I, I've not counted the number of people we have in here, but I'm, I'm just going to say I'm going to round it off, ministerially speaking, as they say. I'm going to say with 100 people here, if we had 100 people here, and 100 people said, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pray regularly for five people. And I'm going to care for them. I'm going to ask God, God help me to be sensitive and attuned to their needs and care for them. Show them the love, your love in real ways. And I'm going to invite them. I'm going to share the gospel with them. What would happen if a hundred people who wrote down five names 
That's 500. And let's say that of those 500, there was even 100 that were all the same names. That's still 400. Those 400 people could realistically be the future family of God and future congregation of Youngers Creek Baptist Church. Why do I say realistically? Here's why. Because they live within a reasonable driving distance of Youngers Creek. Secondly, because they've got caring people like you praying daily and regularly for them. Thirdly, because they have people like you who don't just want to say God loves you, but you're showing them the love of Christ in real and tangible ways. And thirdly, because you're sharing the message, the gospel message, about Jesus who saves and changes lives. Does Younger's Creek have potential for its future to grow and to reach people for Christ? I think a definite yes. And I think that potential hinges upon this very issue that I'm talking about this morning. Because you can know about the lost condition and the unchurched condition of people around you and not do anything about it. Or you can recognize the lost and unchurched condition of people around you. And you can develop an intentional plan like the shepherd with one lost sheep. Like the woman with one lost coin. Like Jesus who humbled Himself. Took upon Himself the form of a servant. Became obedient even to the point of death. We can become like Him and that we too are intentional and join Him in caring for sinners like ourselves. Would you bow your heads in prayer? I'm going to ask you to just voice prayer right now for one or two of those people that God has brought to your mind or to your heart. I just want you to pray for them right now. Pray that God would do a work of conviction in their lives. We can't convince people. It's not our job. We can share the truth and encourage, but it's God who draws people to Himself. It's He who convicts. I ask you to pray that God would work in their lives to bring about a strong awareness of their need, their desperate need for Jesus. And I want to encourage you to pray that God would remove the blindness, the wall that's there, that's hindering them, that's keeping them from placing their faith in Jesus, and that's keeping them away from His church. Pray that that barrier will be broken down by the truth and by the gospel.